I want to start at the beginning of your career because you've obviously had an incredible career in all different fields of fashion. But I want to know when you first became aware of fashion, when fashion sort of entered your consciousness. I actually became aware of fashion really quite late in life in that um, I was suppose I was in my late 20s, early 30s, and I was living in Rome and I was living at that time with a woman who was a fashion designer and I was doing all sorts of silly things including trying to be an actor which I wasn't any good at at all of course um, and when you're an actor in a foreign country you get jobs occasionally, not regularly and they're well paid jobs because you know you're speaking of foreign language and everything but I was quite blonde in those days and I could never have passed as an Italian so um, I started, not starred, that's a little immodest, I was in one or two um, spaghetti westerns which thank God disappeared completely. They weren't Sergio Leone or anyone like that, you know, they were very bread and butter things for television. But I was always running out of money and she got fed up with this I think and she said you've got to get a job. Which because if you want to be an actor, that's the last thing you want to do, you know, get a job. So I said, well, I don't know what I could do here. And she said, I'll get you a job. Now, I have to sort of backtrack. The back story is that um, I talked to my father when I was at university age, and I said, I want to go to art school. And he said, don't be absurd. You have to go to university. So I went to university, but I'd always had that feeling that I'd like to be an artist. Many of us do when we're young, because we're idealistic and rather stupid, you know. Um, my father was quite right, of course, I had no talent whatsoever. But um, she said, you're always sketching in cafes and things. And she gave me a magazine, it was called Linea Italiana, that I remember very vividly. It was a great big thick magazine. And um, she said, copy any ten photographs from there. And I did. This was a Friday. On Saturday, she said, you got an interview this morning with a designer, and he was a very famous designer called Pino Lanchetti, who was one of the great couturiers. And I went to see him, had a nice talk, and he said, yes, I'd like you to come and work for me. And he said, I'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock. And I said, no, no, you mean Monday at 8 o'clock. He said, no, no, tomorrow. And I thought, oh, well, it's something very special. But I actually should have run then because I had no idea of how incredibly hard people work in fashion. You know, eight until midnight, day after day after day, is what happened. And I enjoyed it enormously, but I didn't enjoy it enough to want to do this slave labor for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. So at this point, Jane decided that she wanted to come back to England. She'd had enough of living in Italy, and I'd had enough. I'd been there for about 10 years. So I came back, had no prospects of any work at all, but I knew a journalist called Sally Brampton, who was the woman who set up International L magazines. The British one was the first international one. She was a great friend of mine. At that time, she was on The Observer, and she phoned me and she said, look, my editor wants me to do a piece about Italian fashion, and I don't know anything about it. Would you come and have lunch with me? and let me pick your brains. So we went for lunch, halfway through said, you know what, I'm gonna ask you to do it. And I said, well, I'm not a journalist. And she said, no, you could do it, for God's sake. She said, I don't know anything about it. She said, I'll pay you. And the most important thing was, she said, I'll put your byline on. So you may or may not know, but journalists, particularly fashion journalists, I paused there because I didn't quite know how to put this, but particularly fashion journalists are very insecure and they're awful copycats. So because I appeared in the Observer, I was then asked to do something in the Telegraph and then blah, 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 and in no time at all, 
I was calling myself a journalist. I don't want to pry too much, but you have been very critical about, let's say, the fashion establishment. What do you see the biggest problems as being? The, ra the real problem, I think, with fashion now is that creators mean less and less. It's bureaucrats and facilitators who make the decisions. Now, if you spend more than five minutes talking to a bureaucrat, you know that you have wasted five minutes of your life. There's no point, you know, because they're tunnel vision. And the other thing about bureaucracy, of course, it spawns more bureaucracy. The more people you have, the more paperwork you produce, and then you need more people again. You know, and the British Fashion Council seems to be, to be growing and growing and growing, but the results aren't getting any better. And this reminds me of the Austro-Hungarian um, Empire in the 19th century, which became so bureaucratic that if you wished to go out of your office, you had to write a, a, a request to someone sitting there. You couldn't ask him, you had to send it, it had to be filed, and then ten minutes later, by which time you're bursting for a pee, they let you go, you know? This is the ludicrous quality of bureaucracy. I'm interested in what you said about creativity being a bit missing from fashion. Over your career, who do you think have been sort of the star, star creatives, if there's one person who you think's been... Oh, that's quite a difficult one, really, because <laughs> there have been some marvellous designers. I would have loved to have met Chanel, for example. I don't think she was a designer. I think she was much more modern than a designer. I think she was the first marketeer. I think she was the first one who knew, really knew, how to sell clothes. But if we're thinking about creative talent and how that person's work has affected the world. I guess it would have to be Yves Saint Laurent. My personal favourite is Balenciaga. Not what's happening now, but the original Balenciaga, Cristobal, who was, I think, one of the gate openers for the late 20th century. He, and of course, Giorgio Armani, Calvin Klein, these were the ones who thought, if life is going to be very streamlined and very modern, jet planes, blah, blah, blah. Clothes must be streamlined too. But in f and I think they're probably right, but in fact, the rest of the world hasn't agreed. Clothes have never been as decorative as they are now. You know, all these bright colours and embroidery and things and bits of gold and bits of this. You know, I sometimes see people walking along and I think, you look exactly like a fancy goods store, stall in a village fete, you know, where people have given things, there's a ball of wool here, a little bit of material there or whatever, a few hair clips or whatever. And I think, well, I think it's a course, it is a coffin. There's a huge amount of noise in clothes now. I don't mean the noise they actually make, which actually has gone out of clothes. In Victorian times, the sound of an evening dress moving across the floor was considered by many men to be an erotic experience. But then we all know how stupid men are, but so we won't go any further with that. But the, the, the eroticism of sound has disappeared from clothes. But they look a cacophony. Everything clashes. And I think, oh my God, you know, where's the trained eye? But then I think, well, out of this chaos will come something good. The world came out of chaos. You, know, you, you have to have a form of chaos before you can refine it. And modify it. So, if you have to say who 
at the moment? Who's the gate maker of the moment then? The gate opener at the moment? Well, I don't think there is anyone because they're all, they've all gone round to the back door, as it were, you know, and they're nicking things off the kitchen table. I don't think I've seen an original, a really original idea for years and years. And I mean the sort of original ideas that the Japanese brought to the West um, in, in the 1980s. We were shell-shocked. We'd never seen anything like it. And it was terribly exciting. We don't get that now. We go and we see beautiful clothes, interesting clothes. With my older colleagues, I sometimes come out and say, having seen a show which is totally derivative, and all the young ones saying, oh, isn't it fabulous? And I say, it's great to see all our old friends on the runway again. You know, because there is a huge... Fashion is the greatest recycling industry in the world. But what annoys me is they just copy. There are certain dresses which have appeared in all the books and magazines over the years, and they come up regularly, one after another. You know, and I think, why? Are you not thinking of it more? Why are you hung up on the idea that you must send out, say, 62 garments when what you have to say has been said in eight garments? Why not just show eight garments? And then, of course, we get to the real problem, which is it's all commercial. It is all involved with selling across the world and giving people as much choice as possible. So really the designer, I think, has become a little, um, a little mouse, in a, tr a, a, a gilded mouse, they paid a lot of money, um, on a treadmill. So what do you think the role of a fashion writer or a fashion critic or a fashion journalist, however you want to I think a fashion it? journalist's job, first and foremost, is to entertain and interest the reader and inform the reader, obviously. Um, and I like to make the reader amused as much as I can. Now this, of course, is the one thing that fashion designers cannot bear. They are surrounded, as we all know, by a body of sycophants who never ever cross them in any way. Then that body is surrounded again by, not in London, but in the other capitals, by a truly fearsome ring of incredibly elegant, beautiful, hard-faced, ruthless women whose job is to keep people outside this circle in their place and nowhere more so than with journalists. You arrive and you say, I have an appointment to interview Mr. So-and-so and they look at you as if you were the dustbin man and they make you wait and wait and wait. One of the things I find really annoying is the rudeness of people being late. You know, you say, 11 o'clock? Yes, 11 o'clock. And at ten past, oh, he's still in the meeting. I'm sorry, he's awfully sorry. He's not sorry. He's either incompetent or he's exercising foolish power. Anyhow, these people who treat the designer as a little god will, of course, burn in hell because they're corrupting someone. But more importantly, they dislike anything which breaks the mould of perfection which they try to show to the world. If you listened to PRs, you would think that some of the most vicious queenie designers are like something out of an Enid Blyton story. 
They're lovely, they never lose their temper, they're always charming, they're kind to old ladies, they don't kick dogs or cats, you know. And of course it's rubbish because these people have been made into monsters. It's shocking to me how quickly young people, students who are eager and keen and grateful for everything, so suddenly, very, very, very determinedly become monsters. I am the maestro. It's absolute rubbish. So I'm always ready to knock that down. And I've done it quite successfully. How does one measure success in this? Well, if you've said something which makes other people laugh at this august person, then you've achieved something and you're thrilled. When people say, oh, I did what you said about Designer X, it was so funny, I loved it. And I love them when they say that, of course. But what is really the acid test of whether you've got it right is when you are banned from a person's show. Now, to me, the banning of people from a show is the equivalent, the childish equivalent, of the schoolmaster who thinks so poorly of what he's teaching the class that he can put a child outside the door and not hear anything. Now, if ever that were uh, an indication that you don't think much of your worth, that someone can miss a whole hour's lesson or something, then that's it. So really, it's really saying, when well, I'm banned, I've been banned by the best, Lagerfeld, Armani, Alexander McQueen, I think Armani twice, Versace, you know, and it gives me a great, that's the thing I'm most proud of, in fact, if I'm really honest, because I thought, yes, I've broken through that cordon where you're not allowed to face reality. I want to ask you actually about the fashion show as a thing, because I think that's been so central to so much of, of your career when you were a designer, when the illustrations mm. that you've done, yeah. also your time as, as a critic, as a journalist. Do you think that fashion show is completely integral to fashion now? Because I think some people are becoming quite critical of that, especially the pace, and we've got things like resort coming in where they're not shown always on a show, yeah. we'll have a presentation, and there's more fluidity, I think, in how people are presenting their clothes. Well, I think, despite all the agony and despair that goes into doing them, I think designers love them. They love the drama of them all. I think that some of the most exciting moments I've, theatrical moments I've had, in my life have not always been in the theatre or in the ballet or the opera, but actually coming down a runway and uh, John Galliano and uh, Vivian Westwood, early Vivian Westwood. Um, the early Vivian Westwood, we used to come out having fought through all the freaks of London to get in, of course, none of whom had tickets. And you'd come out and you'd, think, you'd thought, I used to think, I've been touched by something. I'm not quite the same person as I was when I walked in. Because Liz and, uh, Viv in those days didn't really care about selling things. She had a philosophy, she had a view, she had a statement to make. And there were marvellous shows, marvellous, wild, crazy shows, and they stay in the memory forever. A lot of people talk about London fashion at the moment as if it's kind of really standing out and it's going through this incredible period of creation and growth. Do you not agree? No. Why is that? Well, because I use my eyes. <laughs> no. Um, I think that the majority of the people who are saying London fashion is fabulous are either people who are paid by the British Fashion Council to say that or people who listen to people who are paid by the British Fashion Council to say it. I think that it is vibrant 
He was very young, but I think it is on a suicide path because every time I talk to people, I talked to someone last night about this, about the menswear that we've just done, and the person didn't say, oh, so-and-so is very good. He said something like, there were 42 shows, or whatever it was. It's exactly the same as the British Fashion Council. They say, oh, we, we've got more people on, on our fashion schedule uh, than, than, than the whole of Milan. And I think, well, this isn't a numbers game. You have to say which one's good. You know, and if there are five that have been chosen, you can guarantee that four should not be showing yet. That doesn't mean to say they haven't got the talent. Just they're all being pushed. It's a sort of rape of the innocents, really. I want to talk to you about you because you've written over 20 books and I just find it incredible that you've managed to stay animated about that many different topics and enthralled by fashion in all those different arenas. How do you find the time but also the energy? Writing is the most marvellous experience in the world because that is when your ego is at full flow. There is no one stopping the ego rush you're getting. And that's important for creativity. You have to have an ego to be creative, in my opinion. A little sort of modest person saying, oh, no, no, I'm sure you're right, or no, after you are not people who are going to be creative. In my view, creators are red, raw people, bloodied in tooth and claw. Because if you're creative, you have to be prepared to kill, metaphorically, not in reality, kill for what you believe in. There are too many people in fashion who have no blood at all in their veins.